moments that happen that like you never forget. I mean, I don't know, I mean, can, you, can any of you guys think of just a moment or something that happened in your life, and when that happened, I mean, you will never forget that for as long as you live. Like, you may forget your, do- your first dog's name or something like that, but you're never going to forget this moment. You guys, y'all got any of those moments, some of you guys? I remember when, uh, I remember about, it was probably about eight years ago, I was a youth pastor at my first church, and I did a lot of serving uh, with the special populations. And in the summer, every Thursday on my day off, I would go work at a, at a special populations camp with kids that had different physical and mental disabilities, autism and Down syndrome, and, and just different, different types of disabilities. And I would serve every year at the, uh, at the um, Special Olympics. And I'll never forget this. I was serving at the Special Olympics one year, and, they, and I was overseeing bocce ball. Yes, I love bocce. any bocce ball fans in the house down at the beach. Just throw a little bocce ball around. I will take you out, Jeremy, way in some bocce ball. And, uh, and uh, you'll beat me in golf, but not bocce ball. Anyways, so I'm, I'm judging the bocce ball, and, and, I'm watch- and we're doing this whole kind of thing. And then the bocce ball part of the Special Olympics was over, and, and sort of everyone had gathered at the track because sort of the track and field activities were about to begin. And they had a heat where there were about, there were about, Probably eight to ten um, uh, students, uh, you know, young adults that were lined up on the line to, to run. And, and each one of them had different disabilities. There was a guy in a wheelchair that was at the starting line. Uh, there was uh, some that had physical uh, disabilities, autism, um, Down syndrome, different things like that. And they're lined up at the line. And, uh, and I'll never forget this. They were running the 100 meter, uh, the 100 meter dash. And so they were going to race each other. And, and so they, the gun goes off. They shoot the gun. And, and they all start running. I mean, they are running as hard hard as they can. And, and a couple of people pulled out in the front and, and they're kind of working and the guy in the wheelchair, he's going to town. And about, and about midway in the pack, there was this girl, a Down, uh, Down syndrome girl. She lost her footing, she tripped, and she just slid on the pavement. And when she did, she cried out, she just yelled. It was just a, a natural reaction, like if you were to fall running in something, and you would yell out. And when she yelled out, everyone else, once she fell, had, had passed her. And when she yelled out, every single person that was running, I'm talking about the guy that was in the very front, that was almost to the finish line, almost about to cross through the tape, all the way to the very person that had just passed her. When she fell and she yelled out, every one of them stopped in their tracks. And they turned around and they looked at her and every one of them started heading towards her and they ran to her. And they picked her up, she's crying, she's limping and one of the guys puts her on her shoulder and she's limping and they all go and they cross the finish line together. And I'm going to tell you right now, I was bawling like a two-year-old girl just got her little like Barbie taken away or something. I mean, like, I'm like, I mean, it was so powerful, and people are crap, clapping and going crazy, and, and it was like this just, this crazy scene that just happened in, in, this, in this whole entire deal, and that just kind of got me thinking about tonight, and it's got me thinking about the fact that, that we are to finish strong, and I was thinking about Paul in this passage right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's at the end of his life. This is the last chapter that Paul ever wrote. And we know that he writes, writes about half of the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament. And this is one of the last letters that he wrote. This is the last chapter that he wrote. And he's at the end of his life here. And I think that the same is true about Paul is the same is true about these, these students that were in this race. They knew that the race was about finishing well, 
and taking as many people that have fallen behind with them across the finish line. And when I read this passage here, and when I read through the letters of Paul, and I see the life of Paul, man, that's what Paul was about, man. He goes on three missionary journeys. He evangelizes the whole known world of his day. He's telling everybody about Jesus. He's getting stoned. He's getting beaten. He's getting flogged. He's, uh, he's being shipwrecked. He's in prison. He's going through all of this stuff. And it's because he just wants to finish well. He wants to cross the finish line. And he wants to take as many people with him as he can. And here at the end of his life, he, he says... He says here at the end of his life, in verse, uh, we'll just start in chapter four. We'll start in uh, in, in verse. Uh, we'll start in verse six. He says, "I have been." He says, "I have been poured out as a drink offering, and this is the time of my departure." Basically, he's saying, "I've I've given everything. I'm at the end of my life. I've everything that I have has been poured out." And he says, "I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race." I've kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. He says, listen, I've fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul knew what it meant to finish strong. Did Paul go through adversity? Of course he did. Paul was, was, went through all the things that I just mentioned before. And in fact, the end of his life in AD 66, he was, he was beheaded in Rome by Nero. He was punished to death because he was a Christian. This guy sealed the testimony that Jesus had raised from the dead with his own life. He knew what it meant to face adversity. He knew what it meant to go through difficult things and difficult times and, and, and all this stuff in his life. But he says, I want to finish strong. And here at the end of his life, he's like, I have finished the race. I've crossed in the finish line. I've run the race with perseverance, as he says. And this is what I know about our culture. This is what I know about, about students. This is what I know about our our, our world that we live in today, let's just be honest. We don't know how to finish well. We don't know how to finish strong. We live in a culture of quitters. It's true. You're playing a sport and you know what? You don't want to play anymore or maybe the coach sets you on the bench and you're mad about it so you just quit. I mean, we see people and they're, they're working their jobs and maybe they don't like their employees or they don't like their jobs or they don't like whatever's going on there, so they just quit. You go to school and school's tough, and yes, school is tough. It just is. And you're working on stuff at school and you're like, man, this stinks, this is tough. I just, I don't want to come to school. I want to play video games all day. I want to hang out. I want to do whatever I want to do. And so we just quit school. And dropout rates continue to climb. Then we look around at the adults around us, and people are quitting one after another on their marriage, quitting one after another on their wife, committing one, uh, quitting one after another on their husband. And we think, man, what the heck is going on? I mean, we live in a culture of quitters. When things get tough, we just quit. We just quit. We just stop. We, you know what? Our culture teaches us that, that if you're running the race and you decide you don't want to run anymore, if you're running the race and you decide you want to quit, no big deal. Just quit. It's much easier that way. And I'm here to tell you, Paul 
gives us this little line in there. He says, for there is a crown of righteousness in store for me. Listen, there's a prize at the end of that race. There's a prize at the end of your life. And if you don't run the race well, you don't get the prize. I've, I've never won a trophy on a team that I quit. And I want to challenge you to run the race well. Run the race as to finish the race. Run the race as to win the race. And for you seniors in here and for you uh, others, underclassmen, listen up. Because this, what I'm about to tell you is, is something that you need to know. You need to be aware of. Studies show right now, studies show right now that 40% of, high, of middle school students are walking away from the faith between middle school and high school. 40% walking out of the church. In high school, another 45% are walking out of the church and walking away from the faith. Quitting. Quitting on the church, quitting on God, quitting on their faith. And of those that make it to college, studies show that 90% of high school seniors will walk away from the faith within 12 months of graduating high school. 90%. You say, what's happened? Why is this the case? It's because our culture has created a culture of quitters. And I want to challenge you tonight. I think there are a myriad of reasons why people quit. I think there are a myriad of reasons why people walk away from the faith. I think there are a myriad of reasons why when people go off to college, this is what happens. I'll give you a few just off the top of my head. For example, we're approaching the summer right now. And what happens is, is that seniors think, and underclassmen think, but especially seniors think, hey man, this is the last three, two, three months I'm going to get to spend with my friends from high school before I go off to college. And so, man, I want to, I want to spend all my time with them, and I'm going to do all the stuff I want to do with them. And parents feel bad because they're like, you know, I'm going to let you do what you want. You've graduated. You need to have a little bit of responsibility on your own before you go off to college. And so you begin going down this pattern of, well, you know what, I don't really feel like going to church on Sunday morning. I don't really feel like going to youth group on Thursday night. I mean, I like it. I love it. I mean, I want to go to it. I want to be a part of it. But what happens is, is that then we step out of the church for the next three months. Right? no big deal, no big deal. I'll just get back involved. I'll get connected in the church as soon as I get to college. And the next thing you know, you get all, you're heading off to college, and it's been three months since you've been connected to the church, three months since you've been in the Word of God, three months since you've been on your face in prayer, you've completely distanced yourself from God, and you get there to college, and all of a sudden, all your buddies want to go out on Saturday night, believe that, it's college, and so you go out on Saturday night, next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, you go home and you go to bed, and your alarm clock goes off for you to go to church, and you're like, man, forget this, man, I'll just sleep, I'll go next week. And that pattern begins to continue, and that pattern begins to continue. And you're like, you know what, once I meet friends, once I get connected to people, once I get relationships built, man, it'll be good then. Then, 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 I'll, then I'll start worrying about that church, I'll start worrying about that God thing. But what's happened is, is that now, now it's been six months, you haven't been connected to God, you haven't been connected to church, and all of a sudden, the, the still small voice of God that used to speak to you is not speaking to you anymore because there's broken relationship and broken fellowship there with God. And what ends up happening is, is that you begin to fall away from God and you start participating in things that you shouldn't be participating in. And this is, uh, as the band, I can't remember, Casting Crown says it's a slow fade. And you begin to fade. And then you walk into class 
And your professor who has three PhDs begins to dismantle everything that you believe. But because you never took youth group or you never took the word of God seriously and you never studied and know why you believe what you believe, you have no clue how to answer the questions that he's bringing up to you about your faith. And so you say, he's smarter than me, he must be right. And so you cast your faith aside versus studying it on your own. Some of the strongest kids that have ever walked through the student ministries that I've been a part of, who led the prayer team, who led worship on our worship team, are not in church anymore. And I told them this same exact thing that I'm telling you. And I think that there are four areas that you have to win in your life if you're going to not let this slow fade happen to you. I think there are four areas that you must win in order to get it right. And I think a big part of what's going on is that we, we have, for most of our lives, for most of our lives, we have not taken ownership of our faith. And we have come to church and we have been hand-fed everything that we know and everything that we believe. And so you come here and you're like, oh yeah, man, that's good. I'm going to take that. I like uh, uh, an analogy that Francis Chan used uh, several years ago when I was at a passion conference. He says, he says, you come on church and it's like, it's like the pastor's like a Pez dispenser. And you know, you come and he's like, you know, yeah, let me get, let me give you some word. He's like, yeah, yeah, let me, let me take some of that word from you. Yeah, yeah, let me take some of that word. And then what happens is we go off and we don't, we don't feed ourselves. We don't grow ourselves. We don't, we don't seek after God ourselves. And what happens is, is that we never take ownership of our faith. We never have our own relationship with God. We, our lives have never really been changed by the power of God in our life. We've just borrowed that faith from other people. And so uh, if you've been around 12 Stone for a while, you may recognize this because uh, PK teaches on the diamond, the diamond life. And I'm not going to walk through the diamond. I'm not going to go through the whole thing and tell you what it all, it all is and, and how all the bases work and all that kind of stuff. But I want to walk you through each base and show you that I believe these are the four things you have to win at. And I totally agree with PK. I totally agree with this assessment from Scripture. And I believe this is what Paul won at in his life. And the first is your personal relationship with God. You have to take ownership of your faith. No one can live your faith for you. You must begin making, cultivating your faith journey. You must begin running your race with the focus on the prize who is Christ and begin growing in your faith. And you have to take ownership of that. And I know this, you are the greatest barrier to personal growth in your life. You are. You say, no, Derek, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand my home life. You don't understand what happened over here. You don't understand what happened over here. Listen, listen, listen. Stop making excuses. You are the greatest barrier to the personal growth in your life. And I want to challenge you to get in God's word 
If you're going to make it when you get off to college, look, you're going to have to get connected in a church. You need to make that a priority. And I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be easy when the guys in the dorm room across the hall from you are going, hey, uh, hey, dude, we're about to play a, a, a Modern Warfare 3 tournament in here, dude. Come on over. And you're like, dang, man, I mean, I want to play so bad. Like, I just want to, like, take y'all out. You know what I mean? And, and you, you know, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, but you know what? I got my relationship with God is a priority. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to be disciplined. Listen, it takes discipline to get in the Word. It takes discipline to get in prayer. It takes discipline to get connected to a church. It takes discipline to get connected to a small group. It takes discipline to begin to cultivate that personal growth in your life. And you have to do it. The second base is character. I can't spell. The second base is character. If you want to win the race, if you want to run the race as to finish the race, let me tell you something. Your character and your integrity matters. Proverbs 10, 9 says this, the man of integrity walks securely. Or the man of character walks securely. Proverbs 31 tells us, a woman of noble character who can find. And basically what he's saying is, is that it is so rare to find someone of noble character, a woman of noble character, who can find, listen, if you find a woman of noble character, lock her down, marry her, take her, like that's hard to find, like this is important. A woman of noble character is hard to find. I think of a passage in 2 Kings where they were going to do some repairs to the temple. And as they're doing the repairs to the temple, uh, the Bible says that, that they had set aside a whole bunch of money to do these repairs. And it says the stonemasons came in and they did the work and the, and the, the woodcutters had cut the wood and brought the lumber in. They did their work and, and, and all of the goldsmiths and all the people that were doing all of the, the fabric workers, they came in and did this. And then the Bible says this, this little obscure verse right there in the middle of the Old Testament. It says, and they did not take an accounting for what they had spent because those, the stonemasons, the goldsmiths, it goes through the whole list of them. It says, because they acted with honesty and integrity. Listen, I tell people all the time this, and I believe this at the bottom of my heart. There are two things that you, if you lose it, it's gone. That's your virginity and your integrity. Your character. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. Let me tell you something. You guys don't know this, and maybe some of you do, but we background check every leader that is in our high school ministry so that you know that there ain't no creepers rolling around here. These people have been checked. We know everything there is to know about these people before we let them be on our team. And you know how many conversations that we have to have at times with people and say, hey, listen, that mistake, that thing that you did in your past 10 years ago when you were in college... That disqualifies you from being a leader in our student ministry. Your character, your integrity, that follows you. That follows you. And I think there's several areas I want to hit with this because I think this is important. And this is for all of you. If you're in here tonight and you're not paying attention, pay attention now. This isn't just for seniors. This is for all of you. One area that I see as a major problem with our integrity is, is cheating. Cheating on tests, cheating on papers, cheating on exams. When I was in high school, it was like, dude, this is easy. I don't have to study. I'll just peek over at my neighbors. And I'll sit beside the smart girl and peek over her, her test or whatever. Or I'll pay somebody to write a paper for me or whatever. And so that's what I would do. And I, and I remember I got to college and I began doing the same thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, cheating and all this stuff. And we listen, I am at 
a Christian college, had been a Christian for like six months because I got saved my senior high school. I've been a Christian six months. I'm sitting in an evangelism class and every day studying to be a pastor. And every day we had to bring in a memory verse. They would give us a verse to memorize. And he would say, pull out a half sheet of paper, write down the memory verse, pass it to your left. So this is what I'd do. I'd pull out my Bible. I'd go to the verse. I'd write the verse down on the half sheet of paper before the class. I'd walk into the class. I'd flip it over so that the, the white part was up. I'd pretend like I was writing. And then when he'd say, pass me in, I'd pass him to my left. Studying to be a pastor. Stop judging me. And I remember I was doing that, and I was dating this girl at the time, and she saw me do it after the class. She pulled me over to the side, and she said, I don't want to be with you anymore. And I said, why? She's like, because you don't have integrity. I said, what are you talking about? She's like, you were going into ministry, and you were cheating on a Bible verse test. <laughs> Listen, cheating is a problem. I never cheated from that point on. If I accidentally saw someone's paper and someone's answer on another person's paper, I would not answer that question. Go to the professor afterwards and say, listen, I think I know what the answer is to this question, but I, I want you to know that I accidentally saw their paper and I didn't want to answer it. I'd rather get a, get a, 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 a counted off points on that question than I would someone call my integrity into question. Your integrity matters. Your character matters. Let me read this to you. A recent study shows that four out of five high school students say they've cheated. More than half of medical students say the same thing. Listen, the people that are going to be doing open heart surgery on you one day, half of them have cheated. Even the New York Times has cheated from someone else's paper. Is everyone doing it? According to the Center for Academic Integrity at Duke University, 75% of all college students confess to cheating. The findings confirm earlier studies by Bard, Stein, and Havilek, who reported that between 70% and 85% of American college students engage in some form of cheating. Listen, it's not just with, with papers and it's not just with tests. Man, we cheat in life all the time. People cheat on their taxes People cheat at work and they do personal things on their work time. People cheat in so many different ways. They're like, hey, you know what? It's not a big deal. I'll just get an envelope and a stamp here at my job and I'll use that for my personal use. It's only just a few cents. That's character, man. That's integrity. Listen, is your character and your integrity worth being called into question over like a 50-cent stamp? No. No. Listen, character issue. After church one day, CeCe's Pizza. Anybody ever been to CeCe's? And you're walking out, welcome to CeCe's. You know, pizza's terrible, but it's like two bucks, so who cares? And, uh, and so I remember after church one day, I was, at, I was at the first church I was at, and it was, it was a little more traditional church, and we had to dress up and, you know, go to church and all that stuff. And so I had a group of friends that were kind of in the college ministry there, and we roll into CeCe's Pizza, and we order our food, and they're like, hey, you know, what do you want to drink? And I'm like, I want a water. And so they give me a clear cup because clear cups they usually give you for water cups and red cups for drinks. Why do they give you clear cups? Because people put sodas in them because they don't have integrity. Restaurants have to give you a clear cup so that you won't cheat. And so what happens is, is that we get our cups, we go over there, we sit down, and I look around, and everyone at the table has a clear cup, and mine is the only one that has a clear drink in it. And I said, man, what? dude, I thought the water cups were clear cups. They're like, yeah, 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 but I mean, I didn't want to pay for a drink, so I just ordered water, and I poured a drink into a cup. 
So the manager walks over to the table, and he goes, you, 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 goes around the table. He says, you guys owe me $2.50 for the drink or whatever it was. And they tried to argue with him about it. To which he responded, you guys come in here after church and call yourselves Christians, and this is how you act? It's integrity. It doesn't just mark your name, but it marks the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we represent as followers of him. It's character. It's integrity. What about giving back the change if you're giving too much? Listen, my wife, she, my wife, my wife shops for me. If I wear anything that looks good, it's because my wife, my wife bought it. If I wear something that looks bad, it's because I bought it. And so my wife, she dresses me really good. She's a fashion designer, marketing major in college. And my favorite store and my wife's favorite store to buy me clothes from is The Buckle. And uh, I like the buckle. I'm just going to be honest with you. In fact, they got these jeans called the Derrick jeans, which I'm wearing right now because it's got my name on it. And, uh, and so anyways, but um, I'm a nerd, I know. So anyways, and, uh, <laughs> and so we're at Buckle, and, we're, and, and my, my wife orders me some T-shirts. And for, for the, for, uh, you know, because she, she has some T-shirts she likes, she ordered me like three T-shirts. So the stuff comes in the mail, and we get the T-shirts. And with the T-shirts are two pair of $130 a piece jeans that we did not pay for or order. Megan and I are like, we got to take them back. You say, hey, man, they messed up. That's their fault. Have you ever messed up before? We didn't pay for them. They were not ours. So, yeah, it costs us gas money to drive back to the mall to buckle to return these two pair of jeans. Our character isn't worth a $130 pair of jeans or two $130 pair of jeans. It's integrity, it's character. When I was, a, when I was, graduating, when I was graduating from college, uh, they have a commencement speech, and Dr. Adrian Rogers, who was a, a great pastor, was preaching at our commencement, and he told this story. He talked about this company. It was a Fortune 500 company, and, and they were about to elect the youngest CEO ever of a Fortune 500 company. This guy was in his late 20s. He was about to go from, from he wasn't really a nobody, but he was a, you know, a growing businessman. Like I said, he was about to become one of the wealthiest people in the world salary-wise per year. Multi-millions of dollars to take this job. And, and this guy, this young CEO, they were in a board meeting, and, and, after, and, and they broke for lunch. They said, hey, we're going to fill out all the contract stuff after the board meeting. And so they go back out, and they, they head to a, to a cafeteria restaurant. I don't know if you all got those around here, like a K&W or C&H or someplace like that. You know what I'm talking about? Little cafeterias where you kind of walk through the little assembly line, and the ladies with a hairnet's like, meat, meat, what meat you want? You know what I'm talking about? And... Um, and uh, that was a good, that was a good impression. I ain't gonna lie. And uh, and so, and so we're we're going through the we're going through this we're going through this uh, the, the, the CEO this young guy is about to be the CEO of this company. He's going through the line with all the board people. Now I don't know if you know this, but in everything on that line you got to pay for. You know what I'm saying? And so when you get down to the end, they have little buckets of butter and stuff like that. But you have to pay for the butter. The butter's five cents. And so this guy, this young guy, he's like he just thought, man, I don't I don't want to pay for butter. So he lifts his plate up. He takes a little packet of butter and he puts it under his plate and covers it up so that the lady at the end of the line wouldn't see it. So he gets to the end, the lady types up the receipt, hands the receipt over to him, they go, well one of the board members saw this happen 
And they go back to the boardroom, and, he said, and, and the guy who saw it happen said, hey, I want you to step outside for a minute. He tells the board what happened. Not only did they not hire him as the CEO of the company, but they fired him from the company. Over a five-cent piece of butter. You say, why? Because if you will compromise in your integrity on the little things, you will on the big things. Big company corporate embezzlement scandals like Enron and other scandals that have happened through the years, those things don't happen small. Those things happen with those guys cheating on the small things, cheating on a test, plagiarizing a paper, going off to college, stealing a little bit of Coke instead of putting water in their drink, taking a little piece of butter and sliding it under their plate. And after a while, they got away with cheating in the little things and they felt like they can get away with cheating in the big things. And let me tell you something, to God, character matters. And if you want to win the race, if you want to finish the race, character matters. Next. Community. Community would be others. The other people around you. The people that you interact with every day. Listen, if you don't win relationships, you will not finish the race. You must surround yourselves with the right people. In fact, I love what Kevin Queen uh, said a couple weeks ago in one of his messages. If you were here on Sunday morning, you heard him say this. He was talking about the fact that he was talking about friendships and the importance of relationships in your life. And he gave a quote by Jim Rohn which says that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And so here's the deal. If you look at the five friends around you and those five friends are hoochie mamas, then chances are, if you look around your five friends and all five of those friends are druggies, chances are, if you look at all five of your friends and they are, you know, whatever, chances are that is what you are going to fall into. That is what you are going to have a proclivity to go after. And that's the reason the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, which I think every person who is a student who calls himself a believer should memorize the scripture, quote it over and over and over again to themselves because it's so important for your life. 1 Corinthians 15, if you haven't written that down yet, it means don't be misled. Some translations say don't be fooled. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with people who compromise on things, you're going to compromise on things. And likewise, it's important for you to connect in community. For you seniors that are going off to college, it's important for you to find some solid, godly people that can pour into your life. Maybe go to Campus Crusade for Christ. Find a ministry on your campus. Find a place where you can get connected. Get connected in a college ministry at the church. And, and we have a great college ministry here at Water's Edge. And our new Water's Edge pastor, Sean Myers, is actually here tonight, standing in the back. And he's going to be uh, giving a little word over at the seniors' banquet later, Give us a wave back here, Sean, because everybody's looking back there at you. Ain't he, ain't he cute and precious? And, uh, and he's, our, he's, he's our young adult. Man, we got a great ministry here for that. If you're going to be local, and get, if it's not here, get connected somewhere. Be growing in your faith. Find those people that you can connect with and grow in because it's so important that you surround yourself with those people that are going to challenge you and build you up. And listen, you need accountability in your life. Listen, you need someone who will stop running their race and will come back and pick you up when you fall down and help you finish your race. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says that two are better than one. If one man falls down, he has someone there to help him up, but most 
pitied as the man who falls down and has no one there to help him up. You gotta have people in your life that can help you up when you fall down. You gotta have people in your life that can surround you and build you up and love you. And you know who those people are in your life. And equally, you know who those five people are in your life that potentially can lead you down that wrong road. And you have to make a decision on who you're gonna be chasing after. And the people that you spend your time with have a major impact on whether you finish the race or not. And finally, the last one is competence. Competence, some would call it success. Competence. You say, why is that important? I believe this. If you screw around your four years of college, chances are you're going to screw around for the rest of your life. And the next four years of your life, seniors, will probably be one of the most defining marquee moments for the next 40 years of your life. And that's the truth. And if you don't win in these areas over the next four years, it's going to be very difficult for you to win in those areas for the rest of your life. And I'm just going to tell you guys, it is a sad situation. When I go home for Christmas to see my family and my brother, who's not a believer, who decided that he would rather party than than go to class in college and got kicked out of college and to see the path that his life has taken. And then my brother and I will go out to grab dinner at a place and I'll look over and at the bar will be some of my friends from high school and I'll go over to them and I'll begin to talk to them and, and, and talk to them about what's going on in their, their life and how things are going and they'll, and they'll just begin to tell me about, you know, yeah, man, it's just, it just stinks, man. I'm living in an apartment with another guy that we went to, to, to high school with because we both went to college and these guys are 30 years old and they, they failed out of college their first semester because they went there to party and not focus on the things that are important, not focus on their studies, not focus on their grades, not focus on the things that are going to help them further them along in their life, not focusing on competence. And it's sad. They're going from job to job, minimum wage jobs, paying child support because they got some girl knocked up. Guys, let me tell you something. There's a sad reality when you don't take this kind of stuff seriously. And look, I was on that path too. When I graduated high school, I'd read one book. I, I wasn't focused at all. I got to college. I screwed around my first semester, almost failed a couple classes. My parents told me, if you don't get your act together, you're coming home. And that woke me up, and I started taking it seriously. And I didn't make less than a B after that. Ended up graduating in three and a half years, a semester early, with two undergraduate degrees. In four and a half years of school, I had two undergraduate degrees and a master's degree. I almost have another master's degree finished right now. I'd read one book before I finished college, but man, I read vigorously now. I've probably read 15 books already this year in the last six months. You say, why? It's because I take this seriously. I take my life seriously. I take competence seriously. And I think that if you want to grow, if you want to be a man of God, you want to be a woman of God, and you want, to, you want to see God do big things in your life, you win in these areas, and he will. Let me tell you something. Working at this church, being a youth pastor at this church is a major honor for me, and it's an honor for anyone. This is one of the, the top churches in the country to have a job at. They don't just hire anybody to be on staff at 12 Stone Church. And I took this seriously. 
And companies are the same way. If you don't take that seriously, you will be just like those friends in high school that I had. If you can win in these four areas of your life, I believe truly that God will do major things in your life. And you have to win them in this order. You're, this is the order that of most importance. God is the most important in your life. Secondly is your character. Third is how you win in relationships with others. And success follows that. And if you make these things a priority, you will run the bases. You will score. You will finish the race in the end. And that's the challenge for tonight. My challenge is, is that we would be like Paul and that we would finish well, we would finish strong, we would finish the race. Be men and women who chase after God with a, a fearsome pursuit. Be men and women who care about character and integrity and how other people view you because you don't just represent yourself, you represent Christ as you call yourself a believer. Be people who fiercely chase after relationships and good relationships and people who can build you up and not tear you down. People who can pick you up when you fall down and fiercely chase after competence. If you win in those areas, you'll finish the race well. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for these students. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. I thank you, God, for those students in here tonight that this message spoke specifically to, not just seniors, but even underclassmen. God, I pray, Lord, that you would, your will would be done in their lives, that they would grow and seek after you in everything that they do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.